Testing one, two, testing one, two. I'm a little shy, so bear with me real quick on this one. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out this evening. Um, it's a beautiful day. I'm excited for this whole event. Uh, my name is Aaron Dante from No Picks of Dark Podcast. So uh, uh, it's been an honor to be a part of this journey to helping these ladies uh, do this show. This started about a year ago. Um, Stacy, the host, reached out to me and said, hey, um, have you heard of endometriosis? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, I need to find, that, find this out. And I didn't know it was that close to me, that friends, really good cousins and things of that nature have gone through this and still going through this. So at that point, I was like, let's do a show. We did a show last year around this time. It was a huge hit. People really were feeling it, really enjoyed it, and learned a lot. So I said, hey, let's do a live show. You never think somebody's going to come back and tell you six months later, let's do a live show and come back. And uh, literally, I get a text in November, and she says, are we going to do a live show next year? And I'm like, let's do it. So we planned this out. We're at Union today, and we're just very thankful for them having us here. I want to give you guys a little um, plug so you know what's going on tonight. All those people who are outside right now, each dollar from this sale is going to this tonight. So that's amazing tonight. That's going to the cause. So that's a beautiful thing. And I'm thank you, Union, for being a part of this event. And I'm really excited to hear their stories. And I get to sit back and listen, not talk anymore. Um, but thank you guys so much, the panelists. Thank you guys for thank you guys for coming out. Thank you so much. Here you go. Thank you, Aaron. Um, especially thank you to Aaron uh, for all your support and thanks to Union as well for donating beers and hosting. Um, so I'm Stacy. I'm the founder of the Baltimore Flow for people with endo, for PCOS, interstitial cystitis, unexplained uh, infertility, um, basically any kind of unpleasant GYN or reproductive issues. Um, so in honor of Endo Awareness Month and Women's History Month, uh, we kind of wanted to take the opportunity to talk to um, our panelists here about how endometriosis kind of uh, is representative of a lot of the problems in healthcare, especially um, for people who are assigned female at birth, as well as people um, who have other underrepresented identities. Um, so before we get started, quick reminder, in addition to the beers, we're raffling off some great prizes. Um, so make sure you check that out. And if you brought any um, menstrual hygiene products uh, to donate to the DOT project, you can drop those off there too. So thank you for everyone who did that. Um, and in addition, if you see any QR codes uh, laying around, you can, uh, that will take you to the Endo Queer website as well as the Endo Black website and you can donate directly to them. Um, okay, so, and there's also <laughs> um, index cards on the tables. If you think of questions, we'll have a Q&A at the end. Uh, so feel free to write your questions down and Tracy in the awesome yellow blazer will be grabbing those. All right, so let's start up with a couple questions. Um, can you raise your hand if you've ever felt frustrated uh, looking for answers or a plan from your healthcare providers? <laughs> That's a big turnout. <laughs> um, do you ever, have you ever felt so tired um, and frustrated that you kind of just wanted to give up on getting those answers? Yeah, I see some nods, yeah. <laughs> Um, or, you know, if you're here as a support person, have you ever felt frustrated watching your loved one go through something like this? Yeah, okay, so you've all come to the right place. Uh, so endo occurs uh, when tissue that's similar to the uterine lining grows outside of the uterus. It causes a lot of pain, it causes um, all kinds of systemic problems, inflammation, um, it can affect fertility, um, and it affects at least one in 10 people assigned female at birth. However, it also takes an average of 10 years to get an accurate diagnosis and um, even longer to get appropriate treatment. So 
thinking of that as uh, representative of some of the issues in healthcare, uh, we're gonna talk to uh, Les Henderson here. Um, Les is the founder of Endoqueer. Uh, Les identifies as a black masculine of center lesbian, and that complicates her endo journey um, because there's a lot of erasure of people with those identities in medical and online spaces. Uh, keeping that in mind, she founded Endoqueer, and um, that's a supportive space for LGBTQIA people living with endo. Um, and then we have Mackenzie Frost of Fox 45, um, who recently spoke out publicly about her second surgery um, for endometriosis here in Baltimore. And in the lovely green dress, uh, we have Lauren Cornegay, founder of Endo Black. While Lauren was at Morgan State, she was diagnosed with endo, and in 2015, she established Endo Black to connect African-American people and people of color living with endo. Um, so, uh, we've brought each of you here tonight uh, because you've been outspoken and active following your experiences. Uh, but so many people who have endo and other chronic illnesses uh, really find themselves battling these issues privately. So, I'd like to start by having each of you just speak about the moment you decided uh, to start speaking out about your experience. Um, so, Les, do you want to get started? Sure, all right. Hey, good evening, everyone. Thanks for inviting me tonight. For me, what started it was when I found myself just rejected from other endometriosis groups. I remember there was an endometriosis group um, that was, you know, where I didn't hear anything for a while, and they were, and I was like, are you all defunct now? And they're like, no, you know, just some of the women in the group weren't comfortable with you, and after that, I was over it, and I said, you know what, I need to create a space for other LGBTQIA plus people so they don't feel as alone and depressed as I did, you know, during this journey. And Mackenzie? I think I had my first surgery when I was living in Michigan in 2019, and I had absolutely no idea what endometriosis was. I, no one in my family had any experience with it. I found myself, I remember I posted about it just because I was going to have a couple of days off work, and I posted about it on my professional Facebook page, and one of my friends that I went to high school with commented and said, you should look into this Facebook group It'll teach you a lot. And I went and followed her advice, and I started reading a lot more about it, and I thought it was really frustrating that I was learning more about this disease from a Facebook group from people all over the world than I did from my own doctor. And from there, I started to just do my own research, and then I moved to Baltimore in 2020, and I had, at that point, I had an IUD, but I was experiencing some of the similar symptoms that I had experienced before. And that's when I had my second surgery at the end of December this last year. And again, I posted about it on my Facebook page and my Twitter. And I had so many people reach out and say, thank you. Thank you for talking about this because so-and-so had gone through the same thing, or I have the same experience. And I realized that there are so many people who are experiencing the same problems and facing the same frustrations, and yet no one was talking about it publicly. And I don't really understand why everybody seems so, I guess, I don't, it, it struck me as frustrating because, and then I realized that I had a platform that I could talk about it and it provided a space for other people to feel comfortable. And that's why I can feel obligated and I want to continue sharing and, and explaining what it is because the more and more I feel like people talk about it, the more people understand it. And then you get into the healthcare issue of other doctors not explaining things to you properly and that opens up a whole other can of worms. But I think it starts with just talking about it and being open with yourself and your family and friends because they may be going through the same thing and they just feel like it's normal because no one even talks about it. And so here we are. <laughs> exactly right, Lauren? Um, yes, for me in particular, um, I was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2011. I did not take it serious. Um, I was young. It was just another thing that I knew I would have to deal with. 
The thing was that the same year in August, I ended up passing out from a cyst rupture um, that could have possibly ended my life. And I realized that I need to do more education um, and be responsible for myself and start doing research. But the problem was I started doing research and then I realized they didn't know nothing. So then I was like, oh, okay, well, what are we gonna do about it? My mom always said, if you find a problem that you solve it, you don't complain about the problem, you have to find a resolution. Um, so that's what I did. I created a platform. Um, I created Indo Black as just an Instagram page. And that's when I decided to continue telling my story, um, not knowing that it would grow into what it has grown today, but just recognizing that endometriosis, as well as many other women's reproductive health issues, are really serious. And unfortunately, as Mackenzie said, we're not talking about it. And we don't know why we're not talking about it is another issue. So just trying to make people feel comfortable, advocate for yourself, and just continue to encourage other people to do the same thing. Thanks. Yeah, so um, you know, I think one of the reasons why uh, it's not widely talked about is stigma, um, both related to uh, gynecological health and um, chronic illness. Um, so, uh, Les, uh, could you talk a little bit about how people could battle that stigma um, and also stigma that they might face uh, if they're not cis or heterosexual? Yeah, as we see across... Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, so we see across the country and actually throughout the world, not a day goes by that I'm not getting a DM these days about, you know, they're about... Uh, especially trans and gender nonconforming people right now are seeing their rights slashed across the world right now. In fact, um, as we see in many states, I mean, luckily, you know, we live here in Maryland, but in so many other states, I mean, gender affirming care is just being slashed. And I think like what Lauren had just said, why we're not talking about it, you know, it's taboo enough to talk about reproductive, it's still taboo in 2023 to talk about reproductive health. And then when you add other uh, intersections into it, like being LGBTQIA+, um, then adding, okay, if you're transitioning, if you're gender nonconforming, um, if you're of a certain class, if you're in a certain religious family or have certain backgrounds, that even adds more to the stigma. So right now, um, for you all in this room, even if you're not a part of the LGBTQIA community, but you consider yourself an ally, you know, definitely still get involved and fight for us so we're not alone. Because if we're still just out here, people are like, oh, look at them, they're always acting up or they're out of control. But with and with my platform began to get bigger, that's when I was like, wow, people are coming to me. You know, I, I have, you know, there's influence there, so I take it very seriously. And I began to take this really seriously, not just with endo-queer, but also in just regular life, where sometimes I'm the one queer person that people are around on a daily basis, whether it's work or just in everyday life. And then adding the several lung collapses that I've been experiencing due to thoracic endometriosis since 2016, I would receive just a lot of hatred and just a lot of bias in getting that care because um, my partner Kristen in the back, as you see, she's um, she, they're very they're femme presenting. So a lot of times people think that they need the help. But I'm like, I'm sitting here in this chair, damn it. I'm sitting here, I'm the patient. Help me, my lung just collapsed again. So with just us getting over the stigma and also including getting over the intersections and, uh, and everyone acting as a unit and everyone watching their own biases. So uh, Lauren, I, something less touched on as far as uh, really feeling alone um, is the importance of community. Um, and you've done a great job with Endo Black and creating a community. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the importance of community when you're navigating the healthcare system and you're ill? And thank you also. Um, community, it just, it's so important and it's, it's not even just in relations to health, but community just recognizing um, and seeing yourself in other people and seeing 
uh, your disease or disorder in other people. Being able to sit up here and have conversation about this disorder and people in the audience shake their head because they understand what we're going through. So it's really important to have that support system, to have that community that backs you up. Um, when I first was diagnosed with endometriosis, again, I didn't take it serious. I barely knew how to pronounce the word. So like that was one of the things that I had to start gradually understanding that this is a lifelong disorder. Uh, you didn't hear anything about it, but hey, this is something that you never learned about that is going to impact you for the rest of your life. So you're going to have to figure it out. I started doing my research. Um, I saw Tia Mori speaking about it. Uh, and then next thing you know, people are like, just like Les said, reaching out in DMs, wanting to talk to you, wanting to connect, sending emails, um, or just showing support. You know, that is really the biggest thing, especially when you don't know what endometriosis is, but you're listening to someone's story and you're recognizing and you're understanding what they're going through. You may not really be able to say fully you understand, but you see the pain, you see the hurt, you see the confusion in it. So that is the importance of community to just recognize that something um, may be changing in that person or altering that person and just recognizing how to be patient with that person, um, recognizing how to just understand where that person is coming from, all of those things. So that is really the importance of community because it allows us to continue. Uh, humans, we're humans. We interact with each other. That's what we do, so. Absolutely. Um, so Mackenzie, um, you've had two surgeries. Uh, it's really common for people with endo to have multiple surgeries. Um, how has this experience for you changed the way you manage health and, and just your health care in general? I feel like the first surgery really pissed me off <laughs> because it was not the, the best type of surgery. It was an ablation surgery and the surgeon that I had tried to explain to me that that was the best type of surgery and it wasn't, and again, I didn't know anything about it. And nobody in my circle knew anything about it. And so after that, and I realized, and I tried to ask my surgeon, you know, if, if that was the best practice. And she told me yes, and that this was going to be it. And so I, that's what we did. And then come to find out that wasn't best practices. And I, then I was mad that how... How did the medical community, one, lie and then also not know? Either they lied or they didn't know or both. How, how is this where we are in 2019? How are we in this position? So then once I started to do my own research and learn about this myself, I realized, oh, there's a lot that the medical community isn't on the same page about, about this, a lot. And so then I realized that the only person who was going to advocate uh, for me was myself, and so I needed to push and find the best surgeon who I could. And when I moved to Baltimore, it was for my job, and just so happened that a great surgeon was located in this city, and I felt incredibly lucky that I, that I found this surgeon who knew what she was doing, and she was highly regarded, and she did the excision surgery and talked me through it, and I, I really realized that there are so many misconceptions about this, about endometriosis, and about everything that surrounds it, that really it feels isolating in, the, in a way because you're in the doctor's office alone, and you're the only person who knows this sometimes better than the person who's supposed to be the expert, and how do, you, how do you tell that person that they're wrong? And so I feel like it's really taught me a lot about advocacy and speaking up for yourself and standing up for yourself in a way that probably nothing else would have. So you touched on a lot of um, examples of the way endo really kind of highlights uh, some of the problems in healthcare, you know, as patients, as sick people, you don't necessarily want to be the one advocating for yourself. You, you don't want to be the one who knows more about your disease than your doctor. Um, Lauren, what are some other ways that you think endo kind of 
represents or mirrors some of the other issues um, we all face in healthcare, um, some of the issues people of color face in healthcare. I know um, we, you probably list them all night, so. <laughs> Um, I like this question. Um, in particular, uh, and I think Liz hit on it before, like classism. That's the thing that you don't really know about, really. You're just growing up, you're just living, and all of a sudden you decide to go to the doctor's office in sweats because you're off of work all day. But because you went to the doctor's office in sweats and your hair back in a ponytail, you're judged because you have sweats on. This is not an interview. I don't need to come into the office or your doctor's office with a suit on. I'm just coming to get checked out. That's all I'm here to do. So like the bias that happens behind the scenes, um, the gender bias, uh, the classism, ageism is a thing. Um, it, it's really unfortunate because also when you go into the doctors and you're young, you wanna feel comfortable with your OBGYN. But if I feel like I'm being judged, why would I tell you anything? And now we have an issue because now I don't trust my OBGYN, but I haven't changed my OBGYN. So now we're both just not doing anything and wasting each other's time. So it's so many different variations of different things that happen. But the one, of course, that bothers me the most for me is racism and health equity. That is a, a difficult piece um, for me in general because I understand all of the things or not all of the things. I understand some of the things that I was educated about that have happened to African Americans when we are dealing with the medical system. So because of that, that makes it difficult when black people want to go to the doctor's office. They feel uncomfortable. And the doctor may not even know they feel uncomfortable. The doctor may not have even done anything, but it's an automatic. There's like these sayings where um, and I, I don't want this to be a thing because I want black men to go to the doctor's office, but sometimes black men do not go to the doctor's office. That is something that's said, but I really want to break that stereotype for them to go to the doctor's office. But the thing is, unfortunately, it's kind of like taking your car to the shop. You go in for oil change, and then they tell you that you got to get your brakes done, that your, your windows are messed up, your alignment is messed up. I didn't come in here for that. I only came in here for my oil. So that's another reason that happens. Um, so it's just so many different things that really get in the way, and I try to do analogies for people. So, um, But there's so many different things that get in the way, and it's just really important for us to do our jobs as patients and communicate effectively with our doctor. If we are uncomfortable, we need to change. If we feel some type of way about a situation that happened, we have to say something. Um, and we may not be comfortable enough to say it. We have surveys, we have reviews, we have all of these things and tools in place to make sure that we're communicating with the people that are coming behind us using those same doctors, using those same nurses going to the same hospitals. Um, and it's just really, really unfortunate because we're in 2023, but you know, I guess that hasn't really changed anything. It's just a number. We still have a lot of work that we need to do in the community. Last, Mackenzie, do you have any anything to jump off of that? Other examples? I think I think one of the things too is that when we go to the doctor, we expect the physician who's sitting across from us to believe what we're saying, and so often with endometriosis, that doesn't happen. You say you have <clears throat> a lot of pain during your period, and they tell you, well, that's just how it is. And if you don't have anybody in your life who also has experienced the same thing, they often might tell you that that's just how it is as well. And so I feel like that's how the cycle continues so often is because you're just conditioned to believe that, you know, being in excruciating pain sometimes, crying on the bathroom floor, curled up in the fetal position is normal. And in what world is that normal? Absolutely. Yeah, and a follow-up, they both were saying, you're already going through all of these issues, but then to have to go to the doctor. I mean, one time I went to the doctor and the person, and the doctor was like, oh, well, you tell me, I don't know a lot about your community. You know, you tell me what's the best course of action. This literally happened, and excuse my language, I'm like, damn it, I came to you. So, and then one of the last straws that really got me to, to promote, to really get started with endoqueer, 
was a smaller group I had prior to Indo uh, Queer. It was very short, but it was enough where a doctor had had my apparently had my picture posted, a rainbow, and the group, and apparently was recommending for their queer patients to you know the you know, follow the page and follow the group on Facebook. And it was like, okay, enough's enough, <laughs> you know, a doctor's posting. But one thing I wanted to say, um, in addition to what they were saying, is all medical professionals, and even everyone in this room, and myself even included, is all of us need to continue to check our uh, check implicit bias. Because sometimes we don't realize it's happening. We may be like, oh, why do I feel like this toward this person? I, they haven't done anything to me, but it's, it's just something about them, you know? So we really need to check that because that creeps out in everyday aspects of our lives. And it happens, of course, in the doctor, whether you're black, whether you're a lady, whether you're you know, trans, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you have no insurance or, and that's another issue, insurance bias. I've been dealing with endometriosis with no insurance. I've dealt with it with Medicaid. I've dealt with it now with, in, with insurance. So, you know, it's just so many biases out there and it just turns into this, this tornado that just takes everything. So we really have to continue to watch that. And then when, the, when, when endometriosis is still a very gendered illness, you still think of cisgendered presenting feminine women, but when that's not the case, when, you know, okay, myself as a masculine presenting woman, then you have other like non-binary, you have trans people, you have men that say they have endo. I mean, and, and gosh, that, that, I mean, I've been tagged in so much in this month alone with endometriosis awareness month with just people going back and forth over men not having endo, whether they have endo, oh, and then the whole trans argument. So we all have to put that in check so everyone can get the care they need. Because whether you're black in this room, whether you're a woman in this room, they may come for your rights too. And then no one's gonna be there to fight for you because you weren't there to fight for the people before you that had issues. That's true, that's all I wanna say is that's true. Do you wanna say something? That was it, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, and one of the things you mentioned, uh, insurance. So we know that some of, most of the best endometriosis surgeons do not take insurance. So whether you have insurance or not, you're probably underinsured at least. Um, so how do you, Les, go about um, finding care providers? There's limitations geographically, insurance, and then when you do find a new provider, how do you approach them when you're going to see them for the first time? Did I stump you? Oh, <laughs> sorry, that was for you. Yeah. Oh, for me, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, like, one thing that is kind of like what they say, the Underground Railroad. I was on LinkedIn earlier today, and I saw someone said there's now Underground Railroad for black nonprofit workers because of the treatment that many people go through, many black people go through in, non, in nonprofit organizations, the toxicity of these organizations. So I thought about that almost for in the medical world, except it's not so underground. It's on, you know, people have created Facebook collectives, um, in-person collectives, people can discuss, okay, who's a queer-friendly doctor on Indoqueer website, you know, building a resource page, there's some resources there, but also we have networks with, okay, who's a queer-friendly doctor, who can help you? There's other companies and organizations which have, okay, queer-friendly doctors in your areas, but you do realize that sometimes living here in Maryland can be spoiling where there are, where although there's problems, it's nothing like what's happening, unfortunately, to, in Florida right now, where their gender affirming care has been stripped, what's happening in Texas, what's happening in Tennessee. I mean, people can't even take drag shows right now. I mean, what, what kind of world are we in right now where that, where so many other things going on? Like, we're here at six o'clock in the evening for a health discussion, and you mean that's the top of your priority, a damn drag show? I'm sorry, I'm still angry about that. But, so that's kind of where I'm, where I'm kind of just at with, you know, with all of this. We just have to, really, we just, we just have to continue to build our own communities because a lot of times, a lot of the mainstream, they're gonna choose what they promote. 
and they know that a lot of people actually look at that. And no offense to you know the media, because you know I love I watch the news, but there are certain narratives that are usually shown in mainstream media. So of course, if they always show, okay, these are the faces that go through endometriosis, these are the people who are gay. These are the people who commit crimes. These are the people who are good. If people keep seeing these narratives, they're gonna uh, subconsciously, even if they don't realize it, they're going to believe it. They're gonna believe that things are bad. They're gonna believe that this community's bad or this community's good. So that's why we have to continue to just be there for each other and continue to build our communities and help each other out. If you know someone like, okay, these people, this doctor gives good affirming care. Oh, you can get your top surgery here. You can get your bottom surgery here. Oh, this person, this doctor has payment plans or this clinic will have do virtual appointments with you if you can't get to us. So just, you know, continuing to build those networks and we have to do that for ourselves. That's why the three of us are on this stage today because we saw a need and we just, we had to do it. I think with, Endometriosis surgery specifically, what's frustrating about it is that to get definitively diagnosed, you have to have surgery. And a lot of times, insurance companies will say, we're not going to cover your, your surgery until you're definitively diagnosed. Well, how can, that doesn't make any sense. And so you have to fight with the insurance companies to cover your surgery, to get diagnosed with something that you know you have. And the medical community understands that you probably have it. And so that starts that vicious cycle of working with an insurance company, which I feel like everybody in this room knows is not always the easiest thing to do. And then you have to go back and sometimes have another surgery and another surgery. And then you have to explain to your insurance company why you need another surgery for something that you already had treated. And so that cycle, and then the bills pile up, and then you're stuck in the situation where you don't want to seek out treatment because you don't want the bills to continue to pile up, and so you continue to suffer, and you continue to deal with this, and you tell yourself that it's not gonna get worse, and it does, and it does, and then you find yourself in a situation where, what do you do? Do you find a doctor who's willing to take a payment plan, or how many of those physicians are out there and willing to work with you, and there is a network of physicians who are supposed to be the top of the line experts in the field, and yet sometimes you can't get an appointment for years or months, and you just have to wait and continue to suffer. And so that even that system in itself is extremely daunting, and you're already in a situation where you feel bad and you feel terrible, and just having that aspect piled on top of it would really make a lot of people want to just give up. And that is something that I feel like really needs to needs to change, and the fact that there isn't a lot of research about endometriosis, the funding for studying endometriosis isn't there, and that's where I feel like the politicians in the world could step up and do more to allocate more funding to study this so people, the awareness is raised, the funding is raised, and we can finally get to a place where you don't have to have surgery to get diagnosed and continue to have invasive surgery year after year after year. Lauren, if you're seeing a new doctor for the first time, how do you, how do you kind of uh, brace yourself? How do you approach that? Um, for me, you do your research. You look that person up, you may go to their website, you may look at their reviews. So you try to prep yourself for that, make sure that you know that's the person you really wanna see. Um, you then actually write down questions. And I don't do this all the time, but if it's the first time, I think it's really important. Um, I have like my notepad and my iPhone where I have like my history of my health. Um, anything that has changed, anything about my family, anything that I can bring to the attention of them um, and just let them know this is what's going on with me. Um, so, you know, it, it's a little difficult. It's new. Anything is, that's new is going to be um, nervous. You, you're going to feel nervous about it naturally because this is a new person and you already have these perceptions. Um, and you don't want to be judged, but you have to go into it with an open heart and an open mind and be ready to listen and to share. And you have to also share everything. Um, a lot of times we don't know that most of our symptoms are our symptoms. So you, you may have a migraine. You're just thinking that you have a migraine. Well, no, your migraine can be actually connected to your endometriosis because it may be a certain time frame in which you're dealing with it. 
or brain fog. You don't even know what brain fog is, but it's foggy up there, so something is going on. That's the thing, that is a symptom. If, and I'm not being weird when I say this. My eye recently was messed up, and it only happens when my cycle comes on. It's just one eye. But if that is changing and you notice that, you have to say something. And your doctor hopefully will pay enough attention to you to say, that doesn't sound right. Let me do my research and get back to you and let you know. Or let me recommend you for someone else. So that's hopefully something that people need to look into. Um, I will suggest going on websites. Um, Indoblack, we have like a questionnaire of stuff that you can share. Um, there are also some guides. Amazon has a ton of books that people can actually go there. Um, I also have a notebook that I've published and put out in reference to going to your doctor's office. Um, you can write down the questions and you can also write down the notes. And you can ask your doctor, really, what do you mean? Because doctor language is not the same as our language. So just understanding and jotting down your information and making sure you're taking notes and doing research. That's so true about the symptoms. And that was something that was surprising to me was I didn't realize how many or how large the web of symptoms could be until, and I remember I had a, um, an ultrasound and the ultrasound tech was asking me a question about an issue that I was having. I told her, she's like, oh, that I had that too and it was actually connected to my endometriosis. And I said, how am I just learning about that four years after I had been diagnosed? And so that, the, that is incredibly important, keeping track of your symptoms when they come about. And you ha you're so right, you have to be honest with your doctor because something may be connected that you never, ever would have thought was. Yeah, and that reminds me of when I, re when I found out that there was a thing like thoracic endometriosis because I always thought that when I first found out about endo, I, I was like, okay, it just stays in your reproductive area. But no, the only reason they found out is because when my lung collapse, my first lung collapse happened in, in 2016, and I was on my period when I had my first surgery, and the OBGYN surgeon that was present in the room was like, yeah, you have thoracic endometriosis, meaning you have endometriosis nodules in your lung. And this last surgery that I actually had um, in, in November, they took out, the not, took out some of the nodules because no one had ever really took them out of my lungs before. But, and it was just, and the first time this happened in 2016, it was so sudden, like all of a sudden I was out of breath. And I think if any of y'all heard my discussions before, I was a chain smoker back then. So I just thought, okay, cigarette smoking's catching up with me. But it was really, no, it was really okay. Endometriosis had went into my lungs. So yeah, you know, it can, so definitely just keep track of your symptoms bring it up to your doctor, don't be afraid to change doctors. And then in the event that you can't, that's where we need that community network so you can find a doctor or a clinic that is affirming and can and will work with you. So speaking of the community network, um, what, and, and I'll just open this up to all of you, what, what is something that, um, people who are having similar experiences to the ones you're talking about can tell their support systems and their friends and loved ones who are asking, you know, what, what can I do? Because a lot of times when you're sick, you don't know, actually know what that answer is. I'll go ahead and answer that question. Um, for me, I think the most important thing that anybody can do is listen. First, because a lot of times we like, what can I do? What can I do? Since I didn't say nothing, I, there's nothing for you to do yet. I don't know what I need because this is a new process for me. I'm learning, and once I learn, I can educate you on what I know. Um, also, just you know, again, listening and just paying attention, but also being considerate. So, like, uh, I always think of the spoon theory. Has anybody heard of that before? Just using that spoon theory and showing or sharing that information with them, so they can kind of get an understanding. I'm going to be a little bit more exhausted some days than you may be. I know we said we were going out two months ago on this day, but I did not know that I was going to get an endometriosis flare-up today. I did not know that I was going to feel tired the way I did, or I did not know I was going to end up in the hospital. There are so many different things that could possibly happen. Of course, we just plan with the intentions of doing amazing, fun, adventurous things, because that's what life is. We're living in it. Um, but we have to make sure we have support systems in place that actually recognize what we're going through. And to be honest, 
if you just communicate with your friends, um, your bosses also, uh, your loved ones, and just let them know what you may be dealing with, you may find out that they're dealing with something too. And nine times out of 10, we're all on the same page. We're all probably tired. We're probably all um, just you know, doing the best that we can. So just that communication. Also, again, there are books on Amazon for caregivers to also just say, hey, let me do my research. Let me see how I can support my loved ones. Um, following people on Instagram, doing your research about endometriosis is really important. Um, also, just being um, supportive in the way of paying attention to food. I have a friend, um, I love food, by the way, and endometriosis has messed that up for me, but I have a friend, I remember her planning something for her birthday in New York, and she called me for her birthday and asked me what I can't have and what I can't have. That is what support is. It's your birthday, girl. You ain't had to ask me nothing, but that is what support is, and that's how you come and you show up for your friends and your, your friendly, family members. That's so sweet. <laughs> Kenzie, last. I think that, I mean, you hit it on the head. I think listening and being open-minded and and being understanding, um, you know, sometimes the flare-ups happen and you don't know, and it just kind of comes out of the blue. Food will irritate, and that's something that I'm really trying to get a better understanding of right now is what foods irritate me and what foods don't. And unfortunately, I think some of my favorite things are, <laughs> are going to. Um, and. You know, I, I think explaining to your friends and family what it's really like, and like you said, they you may realize that they are struggling with some of the same things. And that's where I think the community comes into play because they probably would have never said anything to you had you not said anything to them. And then all of a sudden you find yourself with a community of people who are in the same situation. And now you have a support system where everybody is perhaps going through the same thing or similar situations. And I just think being open and honest and that it comes back to not being afraid to talk about it. And that's why it's critical that we continue to talk about it and continue to advocate for ourselves so that we can grow the community and grow awareness. Yeah, and it's like full circle, like what they said. And also you have to pay attention that the caregivers and your friends and family, loved ones in your life, they're going through stuff too. So they might not always be there in the way that you want them to be there, but you do need to recognize certain ways they'll, they'll, that people do try, that they're trying. For instance, um, um, what's the, the Steve Irwin's daughter, I believe. I believe. Mindy, she yeah. just Mindy, talked yeah. about it. And after that, and when that happened, so many people said, Les, I know that she doesn't look like you, but she has the E word you're mentioning. I mean, I see people trying, they're like, it, she has endometriosis, and I know you, you talk about it, you, you get on stages and talk about this, and your lungs collapse because of it. So even people that are usually uncomfortable with talking about illnesses, for them to even bring that up and say, oh my gosh, it's serious, because we all know, unfortunately, we are in a world where some people have to see celebrities and people, famous people going through things, um, where they're like, oh, oh my God. So, but for me, having people that normally are like shying away from health issues or different things, for them to say, oh, Les, oh my gosh, I saw that article, they're sharing it with me. Oh my gosh, what can I do? Oh my gosh, and it's in your lungs, oh my God. And they're, you know, they're, you know, they're starting to, re they're, reach they're reaching out more. So, and then understanding if your caretakers or your friends and family can't always be there in the way for, you know, the way that you want them to be there. So definitely, you know, just try to have a network of people. And that's why online exists too. I know for some people it's not the same as having people in person, but for some people online is what they have, especially in the queer community. If they don't have loved ones in their physical circle or it's not safe for them, they have the online community. So just realizing that everyone is dealing with a different set of spoons, really. But just being mindful and trying to just take it one day at a time and be there just one little bit, even if you say, hey, I can't physically be there, but can I send you an Uber Eats card? Or, hey, can I, you know, what can I do? But like they said, just listen. Listen to what the person's saying, but then don't get mad if the caretaker doesn't, or your, or your loved ones don't have the spoons. It's not up to one, two, three people, you know, it's a, it's a community effort. Awesome. All right, so before we turn it over to you guys for Q&A, um, just want to ask each of you to tell us one thing 
that you would tell someone who is struggling with chronic illness right now or just difficulty navigating healthcare, uh, anything like that? So Lauren, do you want to start? The first thing is extend grace to yourself. A lot of times we think that we're supposed to be doing all of this stuff, putting so much work in, um, and beating ourselves up because something is wrong with our body as if you, you caused it. You didn't cause anything. It's chronic illness. Unfortunately, it does happen, and it happens to a lot of people. So the first thing you can do is extend grace to yourself and just be patient with yourself. Um, you also just want to make sure that you're paying attention, tracking your symptoms, um, making sure that you are allowing that time to really understand. Uh, Mackenzie hit it on the head when she said she's trying to understand what she can and cannot eat. That's always going to change. That's always going to change because we're always growing and we're always developing different allergies because, I mean, I don't want to be rude, but y'all be getting old. That's what happens. You know, but, you know, we just have to recognize that and take it with a grain of salt, extend grace, learn what you can, track your symptoms, be open with your doctor, and just pace yourself and live life because at the end of the day, if you're not living, you're going to be in more pain than anything. Mackenzie? I think ultimately you have to trust yourself because if you're having these symptoms, they're there for a reason and... You may go to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they may not believe you, but you know that there's something wrong. And I think that's, it, that is the key to finding the solution to what, whatever it is that you're dealing with. You have to believe that your symptoms can be resolved, and you just have to trust yourself enough to know that the pain that you're dealing with is real, it's valid, and you deserve to find somebody within the healthcare system who also believes you. Yeah, don't let anyone tell you that what you're facing isn't valid in the body that you're in and in the spirit that you have. It, it's valid no matter what the media says, no matter what people online say, your feelings and, your, and what you're going through is valid. Please find someone to talk to is so many queer suicides on the rise and it doesn't have to be that way. But when you're in this culture that, you know, that where you see your rights getting slashed, where you can't get assistance and for many communities, for many areas across the country, they don't even feel safe. Hell, they don't even feel safe in their homes. But when there's so much bias and, the, and people in the community can't get the jobs in order to have the American dream or be able to stabilize themselves, all of that compounds. Then not being able to get the gender affirming care that you not need, not being accepted in society, all of that, you know, just, it can take, a, it takes tolls on people. So you just, so one thing you just really, so just affirming, affirming, even if you have to find that community online, um, you know, reading materials, but just affirm to yourself every single day that your feelings are valid. And although sometimes online it can be a cesspool of information, one thing I noticed, especially in the in the queer community, is that it, it's constantly in, um, inspirational messages um, that okay from other queer people in the community. And sometimes it even helps me. Like, yeah, you know what, I am valid. You know what, yeah, I don't have to tackle everything. Yeah, I can't take a rest day. So just you know, being able to affirm that you know your the feelings are valid, your issues are valid and it's an effort, please reach out to someone for some type of care. And even if I don't know, I will guide you to someone who will or someone can help you, but please just reach out to someone. Awesome, thank you. So now we have a few questions from you guys. Um, and if there are any more, make sure you give them over to Tracy. Um, the first question is for you, Les. Um, healthcare access is not the same for all. What would your advice be for someone who may not have insurance or funds to get the proper care? There are resource networks. Um, we're building that. We have some on the, uh, on the Endoqueer page now. Um, and there's other, um, you can even Google um, like LGBTQ uh, IA plus medical resources because we do realize there's various levels in the community. In fact, I was reading something that was just horrifying where across the country, many LGBTQIA plus individuals have never seen above 30,000. 
I mean, in fact, I th and Kristen will tell you, I think I broke down crying not long ago because I saw an article where so many queer people, you know, were, it was a community where they were making maybe at the most 17,000. And, you know, I think about it and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know. So just really continuing to ask, try to access those resources, because as I mentioned before, I've, yes, I'm thankful to have insurance now, but I've gone through this where I'm still paying off medical bills from when I didn't have insurance, and I, but I was desperate. I, I'm like, I, okay, I have to just let the ER bill me because I'm in pain. I have to get something done. I've dealt with this with Medicaid where we know sometimes the care can be half-assed, but a lot of the community is on Medicaid because like I said, when you're, when you're not able to get the jobs with these excellent benefits, then you know whatever you know what other choice do you have, and that's why so many people in the queer community result you know go to sex work and other things, and you know it's cool for people that like it, but a lot of people do it because it's survival at that point. You have to do you know what you have to do, but also but really just trying to get those those resources, and even if you know your doctor doesn't know, there is a vast network online that can guide you toward um, care where, with payment plans, virtual care and you know, leading you to the best, you know, the best situation possible that fits what you do and don't have. Thanks. Um, I hope that helped. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is for any of you. Um, and I, I also know that this is something I hear a lot from people before their first surgery. Um, what would you say to someone who is struggling with the fear that surgery will not confirm endo? I'll take this one because this was my biggest fear both times even after I had it confirmed the first time. I think you can't think about it so much going into it because it doesn't help anything. But my biggest fear was waking up and being told that it, there was nothing there and that the pain and everything that I had gone through was in my head. And then what? What do you do after that, right? So I think the biggest thing is just, tr again, it goes back to trusting yourself. And if you've done the research and you believe you know, everything that you have and, they, and everything that you're experiencing is real, there's going to be a reason. And if, if it's not endometriosis, then you have to trust yourself enough to continue fighting and figuring out what is. And for me, even going into my second surgery in December, I knew that I had it. I had con confirmation, I had seen the photos, but I was worried that it wasn't back like I thought. And so then the doubt, crept back in and it's it's a bizarre feeling waking up being told yep there it was and feeling relieved but it is a relief to know that again everything was valid and that it was all real so I think that going into it you just have to believe that okay if this isn't it there will be another option there will be more resources and you can continue to figure out and navigating the system and don't stop fighting and until you find out what is causing your symptoms, but believing in yourself enough to know that it probably is. Yeah. And for what it's worth, and Lauren and Les, you could probably say the same thing. Of all the people that you've talked to, I feel like every single person that goes in for surgery with that worry comes out with a diagnosis of it. I, I don't know if anyone who didn't have it. Absolutely. That's the thing that happens. Um, and also, I just want to share, like, don't, don't just go into it thinking that you need to automatically have surgery. Don't do that. Uh, Mackenzie said pay attention to what you have going on in your body first. Make sure that you're doing all of that. You're dotting all of your I's, crossing all your T's. It's not cheap to do surgery. Um, it takes a long time to recover some, from surgery, and then you have to also make sure you're going to the correct doctor, specifically an endospecialist, which also is very difficult because there are not many endospecialists. So just make sure you're taking your time with this. If a doctor is rushing you to have a surgery um, and they're not listening or explaining the surgeries to you, they're just moving very fast, I think you should pump the brakes on that because any doctor will tell you, are you sure? Is this what you want to do? Here are some other ways we can look at that. Um, and unfortunately, <coughs> surgery is the only way you can get diagnosed as of right now, but there is research that is currently happening. Uh, they're looking at doing saliva tests. They're looking at doing blood work. 
Um, they're looking at doing so many different things. So we're just hoping if the funding comes mm -hmm. that we can kind of get to a different place. I'm sure it's not going to be that easy by the end of 2023 or 2024. But of course, everything that we're doing, it's for ourselves, but it's also for the future communities out here. So hopefully the research will get funded and we'll be able to have a much easier, invasive way of trying to figure out about endometriosis and many other disorders. So that's a, a great point, especially leading into the next question, which is how do you treat your symptoms besides medications and surgery? And there's a lot of different answers for a lot of different people. So I know it's a lot of trial and error. So what are some of the things that have worked for you? Well, for me, besides medications and surgeries, and like I said, I always say, you know, this, this doesn't have to go for everybody, but for me beginning to change my diet, that really began to help me. I know we're here at a beer hall, <laughs> and, I, I, and I love beer. I love, like I, I was, I love beer, and I, as far as liquor, I was a crown person. I loved me some crown after work. But my flare-ups was just getting so bad. I would, when I would have my crown after work or a nice little Coke and Hennessy after work, but it was just, my flare-ups were so bad. Like, and I was like, okay, but I, and everyone kept saying, Les, you need to cut the alcohol. You really need to cut that alcohol. But, and I did notice once I cut the alcohol, and I mean, I still had enjoy a beer. I still enjoy Stella or Heineken here and there, or a nice sour, but it's not as frequent as I used to. I did notice that that helped. When I, when I began to cut out a little more, well, I meant dairy's still around, but not as much, <laughs> not as much. Like I said, please work with me, I'm trying here. Uh, but, and then also for me, CBD helped me with anxiety, because around endo, around surgeries, I, I, I've had a lot of anxiety. So that's something that's helped me. Me, I'm pro-medical cannabis. However, my doctor was like, I want you to stop going to the dispensary because that also can mix with your post-surgery medication. So now I've pretty much have taken that. He, they said it may cause mood shifts that you don't want. So that is something I've taken he too, you know, and I was like, oh, well, I'm taking these tablets from the, that I got from the dispensary. They're like, my doctor was like, stop that for now, just stop that. So for me, just things like CBD, you know, cutting back on alcohol, that, that's personally something to help me. And another thing is trying to lower my stress. Like I, I love my day job, but it, it can get demanding, but just beginning to set more boundaries. Like, okay, I'm not gonna do all these like two multiple events in one day, but just really taking more time to rest. Like. Actually, even though this is Endometriosis Awareness Month, I had to take some a weekend off, especially with every, especially being tagged with people arguing about, you know, the arguments about, you know, men having endometriosis, and it, it, it was overwhelming. I'm not gonna lie. So I, I, you know, I, I, I did my response. I, a volunteer luckily responded, but I just kind of, you know, had. So it's okay to take breaks in your advocacy. In fact, it's a must. And just trying to lower your stress, because also your stress can cause flares. That's something. Hold on, Mackenzie. Yeah. Larry, stop responding to them people. <laughs> you know, you sound like Kristen right now, because you know what? Delete. I stopped responding. I couldn't even respond anymore. I'm like, you want to be ignorant with all of this research out here? That's on you. It's like staying out of the comments. Right, right. No, I, the diet, I think, is something that I'm really trying to to pay a closer attention to the alcohol. I too love a good sour more often than not. Um, but, and these are all things that no one told me. No one, my doctor didn't teach me any of this. These are all things that I've learned on my own and learned from the community surrounding you. And so I think that giving yourself grace is the key because sometimes you just don't know what's gonna cause a flare up. And then that's why I think it's important to track everything so you can kind of piece things together. Um, when it comes to managing other symptoms, I think oftentimes inexperienced physicians will try and tell you that going on birth control is the first thing that you need to do. And that's something that people who know the research know that that just masks the problem. And if that's not what you wanna do, you have to be willing to advocate for yourself and say no, and that's okay. 
Um, and so I think if, you know, surgery, outside of surgery, there are a lot of things to do. Diet, exercise, stress is something that I didn't really realize causes a flare-up so often. And then you get stuck in a cycle of you're stressed out because you're in pain. And so just managing that, I think, is the biggest thing. Um, I just want to say moderation for everything. So definitely still going to drink my crown. Um, I'm definitely still going to have cheese. But it's about moderation. It's also about paying attention to when your cycle is coming. And I know that's a little difficult because everybody is kind of irregular. Uh, so it's just you just have to pay attention. And I, I look at different things. I've seen all of the comments on Facebook, Instagram, and sometimes you just got to scroll right by. And I had a conversation with someone else, and she was like, oh, girl, when they send me them messages, I just delete them. And I was like, oh. I'm gonna do the same thing because it makes me feel at peace and you know it's just so many things that are happening in the world I don't have time to be on Facebook and Instagram arguing with you girl I'm supposed to be in my job like what what's happening so you know you just have to make sure that you stay at peace make sure that you're um, paying attention to who's around you who's in your environment what's happening also you want to pay attention to the foods that you're eating, um, and it is, again, again, gonna be a trial and error. And it's not gonna be the same way for any of us. You know, all of us may have a different palette of what we can do and what we can't do. It just really takes time. Uh, what I recognize for me is that dairy really doesn't work well around a certain time frame. Like, leading up into my cycle, it is crazy. I'm, I'm nauseous, I have migraines, I'm sick, I don't feel well. And it took me about three months to recognize that every time I crave for a milkshake, I got the milkshake that Friday I was sick. It took me three months to realize that because I like Chick-fil-A milkshakes, you know? <laughs> but you just have to sacrifice. Sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you aren't gonna be able to enjoy with everybody else what they're doing. Uh, also paying attention to the uh, the environment. So you may go somewhere. If somebody's smoking cigar cigarettes or cigars, that smoke may irritate you. Paying attention to your candles. Using soy candles, people don't recognize that soy has estrogen in it. And for some people, me in particular, soy is not good. So if I can't eat soy, what makes you think I can breathe the soy in? So pay attention to your candles, your products. Uh, all of the things that you're using, the chemical products that you may be putting in your hair, your body. Um, make sure that you're paying attention to your uh, pads, menstrual cycle items. You know, I know there's different words for everything that we're using. Uh, but making sure that you're paying attention. Looking into period underwear more so than tampons. You want to just give yourself the opportunity to be free and breathe. It's just so many different things, and I feel like the more you do your research on your own, you take time with yourself, and it's not a gradual process where you're just gonna be able to get everything overnight. You're really gonna have to take the time and try different things. CBD is a definite, um, weed is a definite. Uh, there's other things that are definite. You can do the topicals. There's companies called Juna, Kush. They do really, really great stuff, and they have really great products where you can use them. Um, Juna has like a drop where you know you can put it in your drinks, you can put it in your food, you eat it, you drink it, and you're relaxed. The cramps that you have, you no longer have them. Um, but also understanding that medication is important, but sometimes you don't always need it. And sometimes, I'm not saying this works for everybody, but for me, sometimes I just gotta sit through my pain. Because unfortunately, for me, my pain may come for 10 seconds, and that's really it. That's all that's gonna happen today. Where another day, I may have pain, and I may have pain for maybe 30 minutes. I'm not saying be on your deathbed and not taking any medication. I'm just saying try to get through your pain so that you can build your tolerance and understand what you can and what you are not capable of. So you can understand the different types of pain that you're having. Because with endometriosis, again, we have multiple symptoms. You may have a sharp pain in your back. You may have lower pain in your abdomen. You may have chest pain. You may have shortness of breathing. You have to understand what all of those feel like so when you explain it to your doctor, you understand clearly and they understand. Awesome. So we're running a little bit over on time. The last question um, was about questions to ask your doctor. So I'm gonna answer that really quickly by saying, check out Endo Black, check out Endo Queer, check out the Baltimore Flow. Um, Endo Warriors is another great page on Facebook. As uh, Les alluded to, the Facebook pages can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, so pace yourself. 
Um, but before we wrap up, uh, can each of you just let us know where people can find you if they want to find out more? Les, you want to go first? Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, so, endoqueer.com, endoqueer on Instagram, endoqueer, there's endoqueer page on Facebook, there's an endoqueer uh, private Facebook group, and then, yeah, and check out the shop. <laughs> you can also have a hoodie and other, other things that I guarantee you, you'll find something for you or a loved one. Mackenzie? Well, I don't have um, an organization that I'm, you know, organizing and, and running a community, but uh, those are all great resources. Um, for me, I just try and post my stories and advocacy on my Facebook page, um, Mackenzie Frost, I think it is, and my Twitter page is the same, uh, as well as my Instagram page, Mackenzie Frost TV. Lauren? Um, for me, it's end of black everything, everywhere. Just Google, you will find everything everywhere. And if you want to come and support and see us, uh, myself, Les, uh, Kyla, Chantel, and Julia, the organizations are working together. We are going to have a Capitol Will Lighting on March the 24th at the National Harbor at 6.45 to end all Endometriosis Awareness Month. Thank you. So thank you, each of you. This was incredible. We appreciate your insight and all your perspectives. Erin, um, thank you for making this happen. Tracy, thank you for your help. And Molly, who I don't see, thank you for taking pictures. <laughs> Thanks to Union as well. Um, over by the raffle table, we have a self-care basket. We have two massages we're giving away. Um, and we have a Union gift card. So if you haven't bought raffle tickets yet, please do. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you.